Chapter Two of The Old Ladies by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two Evening in the House. Agatha Payne. Darkness gathers swiftly in November, and below the rock, the lights of the sea town slum gaily flickered. There came up to the black walls of the house some shadow of the last pale afterglow of the sunset, and motion was sent spinning through the evening air by the shrill, discordant notes of a cornet that someone in Seatown was enjoying. In Pontaby Square there was no life. These tides of Polchester had passed it by. The old houses, once in eighteenth-century years, fashionable and alive, had sunk their chins into their breasts and so slept. Used largely once for warehouses, they were now, like number nineteen, where lived the old ladies, led out in pieces to occasional lodgers. It was the shabbiest inch of all the genteel districts of the town in the square there were only two lamps and these at opposite corners so that the space before number nineteen was unlighted the pavement here too was broken and grass-grown so that it made a splendid trap for the unwary after dusk to navigate the holes and broken stones then to find the door to turn the round iron knob to discover the stairwell and then successfully to start upwards into the forbidding dark was no mean feat of seamanship and for an old lady it was dangerous indeed some years before an old lodger had been discovered by the milkman in the morning at the bottom of the stairs with her neck and many bones broken she had fallen a full flight she haunted poor old wispy-haired crumpled lady the square after dusk she always had with her a little sniffing dog you could feel him sniffing at your trousers or skirts the silence of pontaby square was another matter of note the sniffing of a ghostly little dog could indeed be heard miles away if you chose to listen for the sound but silent though the square might be once within the house with the heavy old door closed behind you and you sank deep deep into a well of oblivion you might climb the stair with the hope perhaps of discovering it livelier if you went higher but the silence follows you when out of breath on the third floor now you pause and listen it is only the hammering of your heart that you hear silence everywhere mrs payne's room was the first on the right of the stairs if you opened the door and looked in after dusk a liberty very rarely taken by any one the first things that you noticed were the two big red candlesticks and a large piece of faded orange silk hanging over a cupboard opposite the door it was a large room and curiously jumbled with odds and ends on the round table there was a sewing basket of pink silk a china dish with oranges a black-haired doll in a green dress and two packs of cards scattered on the shabby red tablecloth the candles in the red candlesticks gave but a faint light and you must look well before you saw in addition to a bed a chest of drawers and the cupboard with the orange silk across it a large black rocking-chair a cuckoo clock and a big oil painting of an aquarium scene a very large picture this with green shining water and large fish with open mouths there was also a stuffed bird with crimson wings in a glass case 
after these things your eyes now accustomed to the uncertain light you perceived their mistress mrs payne was a large stout and shapeless woman she had hair of a deep black and her cheeks were highly coloured she had fine dark eyes she looked like an old gypsy woman and perhaps she had gypsy blood in her foreign blood for sure she would be rocking herself in her chair lying back in it wearing her soiled red wrapper and her shabby crimson shoes she was not a cleanly old woman her splendid hair as black now as forty years ago was tumbled about her head carelessly and stuck into it askew was a cheap black comb studded with glass diamonds her colour was swarthy brown under the deep red of her cheeks and there was a faint moustache on her upper lip but she must have been handsome once a fine bold girl in those years long ago quite shapeless now her fat dirty arms naked under the wrapper her body as it lolled back in the chair boneless once and again she yawned then felt in a dirty paper bag on the table near her for a thick slab of nougat that she crumbled idly in the bag then ate fragments licking slowly her fingers her face was expressionless her large black eyes stared out into the room vacantly as she licked her fingers she kicked one foot idly in the air but she was not vacant she knew what she was about when the cuckoo burst his little door and cried that it was seven o'clock she would rise totter across to the cupboard produce a plate a cup a loaf of bread butter jam she would make herself a cup of thick rich cocoa the kettle had been long on the fire and she would eat many pieces of thick bread and a raspberry jam and then a hunk of black dark plum cake she would eat sitting up at the table staring in front of her her lips making a large smacking sound of satisfaction then once again she would lick her fingers slowly elaborately then once again totter back to her chair lie on it and rock tossing her shabby red shoes in air totter yes because the only sign of age was in those legs of hers they alone had deserted her they would betray her in a moment the knees failing and she must cling to the table to save herself from falling she hated her legs they had betrayed her and in the dark recesses of her mind she would imagine how she might punish them punish them without hurting herself just as though they were separate personalities but on the whole she was not ill-contented nor did she bear humanity a grudge she did not dislike this life of hers she had always been lazy taking what came nonchalantly she had taken wilfred payne and his miserable mother she had taken a lover and his brutal desertion of her she had taken a child that had not been her husband's and he had never known she had taken its death she had taken the roman catholic religion for the lights and the incense she had taken her husband's death and her own subsequent poverty she had taken the job of companion to an old fool widow of a polchester merchant she had taken the widow's decease without leaving her a farthing and her own subsequent penury she had taken pontivy square and the cold and silent room there she had taken her absolute loneliness and isolation everything she had taken with a luxurious sensual indifference 
Her two passions, and they were in their basis one, were for food and bright colors. For food, her longing was both active and indolent. Active because she would take trouble that Mrs. Bloxham should keep her well supplied in cake and jam and nougat. She spent all that she had on these foods, and in her slothful brain there was a kind of wonder that she could purchase so much of this for so little. Her digestion did not apparently suffer. Her passion for bright colors was a deeper longing. It had always been so. As a tiny child, she had cried after a reel of colored thread and had begged for a shining marble and this had gathered strength perhaps because her husband and mother-in-law had sternly forbidden it theirs was the nonconformist mind and vision gray stone drab clothes uncolored minds she had hated her husband for many reasons but chiefly because he had thrown a gay hat of hers into the fire she would lie in bed beside him devising tortures for his soft and rounded limbs but that was many years ago. She had long forgotten him. The past appeared to her a succession of bright and shining images. Her husband was not one of these. She did not think connectedly of her past at all. Old people do not. To the old, the past comes in a series of pictures, not of necessity connected, here intensely vivid, there dim and blurred a green field a quiet evening an angry quarrel some loving face some sharp disappointment and all vivid or blurred dispassionately removed no call for action any more quiescence and then a strange wonder that to those about them these scenes so real so actual mean nothing stir no reaction but Mrs. Payne did not wonder. She had no audience for her memories, only Mrs. Amherst, who seemed to her a silly old thing, incredibly old, stupidly active, and egoist in her sense of her importance. With this matter of activity, Agatha Payne was always intending to be on the move one day soon. Nothing forced her to stir. Her monthly allowance was paid to her by a lawyer in Birmingham. He paid her rental for her room. The rest was in Mrs. Bloxham's hands, and Mrs. Bloxham might cheat her if she willed, so long as she brought her what she desired. But Mrs. Bloxham did not cheat her. She had a strange tenderness towards her to old ladies. When, before the arrival of Miss Beringer, there had been two old ladies and one old gentleman, she had been yet more tender towards the old gentleman, and were there now three old gentlemen, her tenderness would have known no bounds she did prefer the other sex and always had but as she said to mr bloxham you couldn't help but be sorry for the two old things she liked mrs amherst the better of the two there was something in mrs payne's lazy indifference that frightened her and then her liking sweet things the way she did like a child but then if it hadn't been sweet things it would have been drink and that as mrs bloxham only too absolutely knew was another kettle of fish mrs bloxham too was honoured by mrs payne's trust in her and would take real trouble over the commission she gave her going quite away up the high street to find the rosbury jam that she preferred but whereas mrs amherst was a real sweet old lady and should have been a duchess in her own right if all had their proper due mrs payne was not quite 
well you know shouldn't wonder if she went queer in the head any day mr bloxham when he was sober enough to realize these things couldn't see what mrs bloxham was about wasting her time with these old women it wasn't as though she got anything for it but mrs bloxham felt like a mother to them twenty years younger though she was she felt too a certain power she liked to see mrs amherst's eager smile when she called her in the morning and to feel mrs payne's dependence on her if the adn't got me surely to goodness i don't know who de would have and that's the truth poor old dears about miss beringer she had not yet made up her mind miss beringer had been there but a week and then there was the fox terrier pip a silly name for a dog it was not to be expected that mrs payne considered mrs bloxham as a separate identity had mrs bloxham been a stick of nougat or a piece of brightly coloured silk then mrs payne would have desired to possess her and her sluggish brain would have suddenly awakened to the intention of possessing her and from that coil after coil unwinding she would have entered on the campaign of possessing her with the pertinacity and determination of napoleon advancing upon russia it was fortunate indeed for her that she did not leave her room the sight of a gay vase or a jewelled trinket in a shop window might have drawn her into committal of some crime i have said that physically she was still a strong woman and the weakness in her knees was more imagined than real but she did occasionally suffer from a strange pain in the head this was not exactly a headache it was rather a kind of limiting of her consciousness a constriction of the brain as though cords were tightening over her brows and forbidding her to think when this came upon her she was scarcely aware of what she did moving apparently under the orders of some commanding personality it was as though someone whispered to her go and do this and she then moved hypnotically it must be repeated that she was not essentially an unkindly woman now that she was old and alone strange thoughts and desires possessed her she wished ill to no one but she moved in a world that had been largely created out of her own lingering and possessing imagination the picture of the fish in the green tank of water that had been her father's that she had known ever since as a little child she had gazed up at it hanging in the birmingham dining-room had become part of her real and active world she moved inside it as truly as she moved about the room and the fish especially the large one with the silver scales and the long swinging tail left their watery confines and swam about her room slowly opening and shutting their jaws lazily swerving in their upward or downward course so too the black-haired doll with the green dress miranda miranda had three dresses this green one one of ruby colour and one of dark purple mrs payne would change the dresses from time to time and with the change the whole room would seem to alter when the ruby dress was worn sunlight seemed to strike the room the very fish were glad and miranda perched up against the red candlesticks smirked her satisfaction there were also the cards 
with these mrs payne played a game of her own a kind of patience maybe but also a kind of fortune-telling so that as she gazed at the king and queen of hearts and then lying beside them found the black rich thick tin of clubs her heart beat strongly and awful destinies seemed to close about the room and her eyes would stare far beyond those confining walls and dynasties would rock and the very stars would shake and quiver then she would smile darkly to herself knowing so much more of fate than the people about her on the evening of mrs amherst's visit to her cousin she was thus playing at her cards when the door opened and the old lady entered mrs amherst had had her evening meal and had felt then an irresistible desire to talk to some one endeavour to control it as she might the promise of her cousin that afternoon excited her so deeply that she was shaken through and through one thousand pounds a year to find her boy again, to spend the little time on this earth remaining to her with him, to see him with her own eyes, happy. And it was only with this sudden wonderful promise that she realized how hard things had of late been, and how, deep in her subconsciousness, the fear of some tragedy, the cessation of her money, or the running into debt and the consequent disgrace, had played upon her but now one thousand pounds a year and he had meant it she could still feel the touch of his hand upon her hair how good he was how kind how many people had misjudged him she did not want to bother poor old agatha payne she always thought of her as at least twenty years older than herself with all her private affairs but she must see somebody be kind to somebody too because to-night she wished well to all the world she knocked on the door then timidly stepped forward the cards had just come out badly meaning nothing pretending nothing and agatha payne was therefore glad to see a friend in a way she liked lucy amherst although she despised her poor old thing so lonely and deserted she gazed up confusedly staring through the dim light and seeing a large green fish swerve just above mrs amherst's head and disappear oh my dear come along she said her voice was bass and masculine she rose very slowly from the table leaving the cards upon the cloth she moved to the rocking chair slowly sinking down into it a very small fire flickered in the grate on the other side of this there was a shabby red armchair from which the stuffing burst now here now there like a pale disease mrs amherst sat down in this as on many occasions she had done before she seemed very small and very slight beside the large fat woman rocking one heel in air opposite to her agatha payne gazed at her with sombre eyes you have not been out i suppose said mrs amherst this was a genteel fiction always maintained between them that to-day it was true that mrs payne had not gone out that yesterday also she had remained within but that to-morrow all being well would certainly see her in the open air no said mrs payne i've not been out it was in no way the kind of day for me cold and dark mrs bloxham has kindly done my shopping for me 
Well, I went and paid a visit to my cousin, said Mrs. Amherst, smiling, as though she would intimate that there was far more in that visit than she could expressly say. But Agatha Payne was a bad one for secrets. She was occupied too deeply in pursuing the strange perplexing windings of her own brain to follow closely the possibilities of another. One thing she always did. She overlooked Mrs. Amorous and was discontented that she refused to have anywhere about her a bright spot of color. That gray dress and plain hair and quiet little face irritated her poor little old thing she would think how old and shriveled up she is she's not long for this world and the sense to-night that lucy amorous was pleased about something it mattered not what irritated her still more what right had she to be pleased with her poverty and mean way of dressing so very soon she was in an irritable temper muttering to herself and kicking in air her red-heeled shoe and so you've begun a fire said mrs amorist brightly well i'm sure it's time and yet i can't make up my mind to it i said to mrs bloxham this morning that i thought to-morrow i really would start one and yet i don't know the winter hasn't truly come has it and we may get quite a number of warm days yet mrs payne lying back shapeless in her chair began Oh, i'm sorry for you lucy there's that cousin of yours rich as he is does nothing for you and your boy been gone for years no one knows where i'm glad my child died she would only have been a grief to me he'll come back a brand i mean mrs amorous spoke confidently i feel to-night as though everything is going to turn out well don't you feel that way sometimes brand is that your boy's name queer name it was my husband who wished it i think it's a nice name well i don't think much of your brand why doesn't he write and tell you what he's doing perhaps he's dead mrs amherst knew well that agatha payne was doing her best to be provoking she had on many occasions been through just this same conversation before and when she had been tired hungry and lonely it had been difficult not to burst into tears but she was accustomed now, and to-night she was too truly happy to care. "'I know that he's not dead,' she answered. Brand was the kind of boy who would never own that he was beaten. It was always the same in cricket and in football. He'll tell me where he is when he's made his fortune. I'm expecting to hear any day now.' "'You've been expecting to hear any day ever since I've known you,' said Agatha Payne. "'You're a patient woman.' slowly from the sluggish levels of her mind curiosity was arising what was making lucy amorist so happy to-night what news had she received had some fortune come to her the fish swam slowly back into their deep green tank she sat up in her chair and with her hands on the arms and her heavy breast bulging beneath her wrapper she looked attentively at her companion what's the matter with you lucy she asked you've had some good news well in a way i have mrs amorous confessed and yet it's not news exactly my cousin spoke to me in a very kindly way this afternoon did he say he'd leave you something in his will asked mrs payne her interest growing very sharply he did say something answered mrs amorous smiling a little of course he may have meant nothing by it i certainly mustn't rely on it nonsense said mrs payne leaning now eagerly forward what did he say he'd leave you 
Well, he said, a thousand pounds a year. Mrs. Payne sank back into the chair. A thousand pounds? A thousand pounds a year? Her large black eyes widened and extended. Why, Lucy, that's a fortune. Yes, said Mrs. Amherst faintly, it is. And that's why I don't want to rely on it. It's only what he said, of course. And was there anyone else there when he said it? No, there wasn't. We were quite alone, and he was very kind indeed. I've never known him so nice. Agatha Payne stared. A thousand pounds a year, and to be given to that poor little mouse who had only a few years to live at the best. What would she do with a thousand pounds a year? Whereas the things that Agatha Payne might do, the gay, glorious, colored, glittering things that she might buy, and there suddenly came into her head the idea that she herself would have some of this money that was coming to lucy amherst she was a weak good-natured little creature was lucy amherst she would give anything away she would do anything for anybody her heart beat it was strange perhaps that with her passion for gay things she had not long ago spent more than she had and encumbered herself with debt but an odd laziness held her captive, and perhaps also the old house had thrown some spell over her. It had forbidden her, perhaps, to leave it. Old houses can do such things. They can impregnate human souls with their own subtle poison, and with bricks and beams of wood and flakes of mortar, wall in the human body as surely as in the cruel past errant wives and sinning nuns were confined here was something beneath her hand she smiled and a grim forbidding smile it was that's right lucy don't you count on it you come to me and we'll talk it over there's nothing like a little plan nothing mrs amherst was frightened she did not know why it had been foolish of her to say anything at all about the money it had been in a way betraying the confidence of her cousin she was tired and needed the security of her own room i think i'll go to bed now she said it's late mrs payne smiled once more you come in again and we'll talk it over she said and mrs amherst said good night and went she hurried into her room lit her lamp and began to undress she took the photograph of her boy from the mantelpiece and kissed it then she knelt down and said her prayers End of chapter two